0: bow with me and let's pray together our father in heaven we thank you for this time of worship we've loved lifting up our hearts and singing the praise of the lord jesus together we have loved these baptisms these public professions of faith this obedience to your command to be baptized as believers we pray for each of them, all seven of them being baptized in this building today. May they follow you, Lord Jesus, by your grace and in the power of your Holy Spirit till their last breath or till Jesus comes. And now we thank you for this passage that we seek to open up. And we pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding. May every person in this room have the Holy Spirit working in their heart, drawing us all either to, to become believers or to grow as believers in the Lord Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray with thanksgiving, amen. Amen. Again, here's the title slide. We're looking at the new covenant. Israel, and us. Now, let me remind you, we're going back to Jeremiah 31, but then we are going to wind up in, if time permits, going to wind up in Ezekiel 36 as well today. But we're over in Jeremiah 31, so you want to turn there in your Bible. And let me remind you that the prophecy in Jeremiah 31, and the same one we read in Ezekiel 36, is one of the high water marks of all prophecies in the Old Testament. This is like the apex, the high point. This is the, this is the, the mountaintop. This is the ama- one of the best, the most amazing prophecies in the entire Old Testament. And what God is doing in this prophecy is he's telling Israel, who is very much far from God, is very much in idolatry, is very much not walking with God in those days, he's telling them there's better days coming. And what I want you to all know is we are in those days because we are in the days of the new covenant, also known as the New Testament. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this text is describing you. And if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, well, call upon him. And this text is going to move you to call upon him to receive the benefits and the blessings that are in the text. So let's let's jump right in after that quick review. We're gonna, well, actually, we're going to review verse 31 that we saw last week, Jeremiah 31, 31, just to keep us going here so we know where we're starting. Behold... The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, Jeremiah 31, 31. So God says, behold, that means look at this. That means check this out. That means pay attention to this. That means really notice this. Don't don't miss this one. Behold, the days are coming. We're in those days. Jesus ratified this new covenant when he shed his blood for sinners like you and me. And all who have called upon his name and are saved, we're in this new covenant. Where, whether Jew or Gentile, bond or free, doesn't matter. And he says, I'll make a new covenant. What was the old covenant? That was the covenant God made with Israel and with Moses. That was the Mosaic covenant. That was the one that was made at Mount Sinai when God gave them the law. That, that old covenant has now been fulfilled in Christ that has been abrogated, put away by the new covenant. It grew old and it vanished. So we're no longer under the old covenant. No one's actually under the old covenant. Its law still speaks to us It convicts us of our sins and our need for Christ. But as a covenant, we're not under that old covenant. And so either you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're in the new covenant, or in these days, you're not in covenant with God at all. And you want to be in covenant with God. So he says, I'm making this new covenant, and notice with whom it's made, with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So this, this new covenant is not what some people, this is a derogatory term that they hurl at us, this is not what some people mean when they, when they say, well, that's replacement theology. What's well, not replacement, God is making a new covenant with the same people. The covenant is made with Israel. He's not replacing Israel. The covenant is made with the house of Judah. He's not replacing the house of Judah. Nobody gets replaced. He just says, I'm going to make a new covenant. You were under the Mosaic covenant. I'm changing the terms of our relationship. Now you, same people, Israel and Judah, you will be under the terms of the new covenant. The new covenant is made with Israel and with Judah. All who are true believers from Israel are in that covenant, and all who are Gentile believers have been grafted in with them, and we're also partakers of the benefits and the blessings of the new covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ. So, let's go to verse 32. That was last week. Now, let's go to verse 32. We saw this one last week as well. It's going to be not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So, there is some continuity between the old and new covenants. What's the continuity? It's the same people. It's Israel and Judah. And it's also the same law. Moral law doesn't change. Whatever was moral law in the old covenant becomes moral law in the new covenant. There's continuity, but there's also great and radical discontinuity. And we see that in the words not like. So the rest of the sermon, we're going to be seeing how the new covenant is not like the old, and each thing that is that is not like is going to be something that's a characteristic of a believer in Jesus Christ. You'll see what I mean when we get there. Not like the covenant that I made. They broke that covenant though I was their husband declares the Lord. Now, how does the new covenant differ from the old and what are characteristics of new covenant believers? That's the rest of the sermon. This has been a review and introduction so far. Now we're ready to start into the sermon. So here we go. But well, let me put up this slide. Yeah, we're going to be looking at differences between the old covenant and the new covenant and we're going to be looking at characteristics of new covenant believers. So if you are a new covenant believer in Jesus Christ, if, you, if you've called upon the name of Christ and you're saved, you're in the new covenant. You're in it. So if you're a new covenant believer, each one of these things is true of you. If you say you're a new covenant believer, but these things aren't true of you, you're not really a new covenant believer. We can distinguish saved and unsaved by these marks that God gives us. He says, here's what I will do in everybody who's in my new covenant. He does these things in us. Here's the first characteristic. We saw it last week. All members of the new covenant have God's law within them and written in their hearts. Let's review that verse. Jeremiah 31, a He says, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. So every single person who is in the new covenant, saved by the grace and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is true of them. God himself has written his law, has deposited his law where? Where? inside of them, and specifically where, in their hearts. What do we do with hearts? This is a review. We love things with our hearts. So what this means is I'm going to make the new covenant people to love me, to love my kingdom, to love my law, to love the Lord Jesus, to love the word of God, to love the things of God. He's going to change your loves if you're in the new covenant. And you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and wish you did it more. So that's the first characteristic. Let's look now. This is new. Second characteristic. Here it is. All members of the new covenant, what else can be said of them? How is the new covenant different from the old? They all have God as their God, and God identifies them as his people. Let's look at the verse, Jeremiah 31, 33b. God says, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This was not true of most people under the terms of the Old Covenant. Most of them were not saved. Most of them were not regenerate. Most of them were not faithful followers of the Lord God of Israel. And God was not their God. And they were not his people. And he says that, and we saw it last week over in Hosea chapter 1. But everybody in the New Covenant, this can be said of them. This is true of them. If you're in the New Covenant, this is true of you. God is your God. So, if we interview you after church today and say, Excuse me, sir, excuse me, Rick, um, who is your God? You say, What's well, God? God of the Bible, the Lord God, the Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that God, the God in the Bible, He's my God. What do you mean by God? I mean, He's at the center of my life. He occupies that place in my soul that nobody or nothing else can occupy. He's at the center of it all. God is my God. That's what I mean. All right, good. What's the other part mean when it says, and God says, they shall be my people? Well, now we interview God. Lord, who, what do you say of Rick? And he said, he's one of my people because he's believed on the Lord Jesus and he's been saved. And so you say, he's my God, and God says, he's my people. And that's true of everybody who's in the new covenant. So if you're in the New Covenant and we ask you uh, what's in the center of your life you would if you, if you're thinking you would very quickly say well God, the God of the Bible the God of the, of the of the of the the Word of God the old and New Testaments so what is not your God well cars are not your God and Trucks, even trucks are not your God, and clothing is not your God, and jewelry is not your God, and money is not your God, and Netflix and movies are not your God, and the world's praise is not your God, and the world's philosophies are not your God. No, God is God to you. It's like the Thessalonians. It says they turned from idols to God to serve the living and true God and to await his Son from heaven. God has become God to you. You bow before him. You bless him. You want his will in your life. You pray to him. You seek to follow him by the grace of the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the second characteristic of everybody who's in the new covenant, and that's the second way the new covenant differs from the old. For most of them, God was not their God, and God said, they're not my people. But everybody who's in the new covenant, God says, that's one of mine, and you all identify him as your God. So here's a very important question for you at this point. I just want to ask you in a very personal way, is God your God? If we interview you after church and say, what's at the center of your soul? What matters most to you on earth? Would you say, oh, the God of the Bible, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Trinitarian God, no doubt about it. Would you say that? Everybody who's in the new covenant has God as their God. Do you have God as your God? Does he occupy that place in your affections, that place in your heart, that place in your soul, that place in your loves, that only he can and that only he is supposed to occupy? I ask you again, is God your God? Don't leave this room without God being your God. Call upon him right now. Oh God the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, would you please save my never dying soul by your grace and your work on Calvary's cross. I want you to be my God and I want to be one of your people. So there are some implications of this. I will be their God, and they shall be my people for present Israel. So I want to say, you know, there's questions now because Israel's in the news, right? And So how how are we to view them? Are they the people of God? And according to the word of God, well, not unless they're believers in the Lord Jesus, and most of them aren't. And so currently, they're not in covenant with God. They can get back in covenant with God, and Romans chapter 11 tells us some of them do, and one day maybe a whole slew of them will. Maybe most of them will, depending on how you read that. But right now, most of them are not in covenant with God. They're not his people. He would not identify them as his people, and they do not identify the God of the Bible as their God. They've rejected Jesus Christ, like, just like puts them in the same category as other humans, your next-door neighbors who are not believers, just like them. You're still supposed to love them. They're your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Again, I want to say there's no room whatsoever for any anti-Semitism. If you got any of that in you, get rid of it, and please don't bring it in here. But uh, these are implications for present Israel. There are implications for us. What does this mean for us? When when we say everybody in the new covenant has God as their God, and they are God's people, this does not mean that everybody who ever professes faith is actually one of God's people. This does not mean that everybody who walks into a church building and says amen is actually one of God's people. This does not mean that everyone who is baptized, takes communion, joins a church is one of God's people. You can be in a church building and not be in the new covenant. But if you're in the new covenant, then, then you're this. You are, God is your God, and he points at you and says, there's one of my people. So what, what does this mean for us? Let me say it again this way. Every single person, without exception, who is actually in the new covenant, saved, regenerated, born again, forgiven of their sins, and we'll see all those in the text in a moment, every one of them has God as their God, and God has them as one of his people. So there are some implications in this for our doctrine of conversion. When we're looking at somebody and we want to try and figure out that they seem to profess faith in Christ, do we think they're really converted? Well, initially we should just take them at their word, but then we start seeing how they live, how they talk, how they think, what they believe, and we need to ask ourselves, do do they still seem to be like are really converted people? Well, one of the things we ask ourselves is, do they look like somebody who has God as their God? We want to look for that. If you say, I've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and my sins are forgiven, but everything else under the heaven seems to be your God and God is not your God, then we look at you and say, well, there's, there's, there's a discord here. There's dissonance going on here. It doesn't seem like you really have God as your God. You don't seem to be really in the new covenant. This has implications for our doctrine of conversion. It has implications for church membership. These are the people we want in membership. We want all people in the building, all people to come and hear the word of God and participate in gathered worship, but it's only saved people. It's only people who are in the new covenant that ought to find their way into our church membership. We want a pure membership, pure with believers only in the membership. And so this has implications for us. As much as humanly possible, we want a regenerate membership of pure church. So that's the second characteristic of the new covenant and everybody in it. All members of the new covenant have God as their God, and God identifies them as his people. Are you ready for a third characteristic? Say ready. Ready. That was really good. Thank you. All right, you're awake. I can test things and see, are they with me? They sounded with me. So, third characteristic, here it is. No members of the new covenant need to be evangelized because they all know the Lord. Let's read it, Jeremiah 31, 34. And no longer, in this new covenant, no longer shall each one, each new covenant member, no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, oh, brother, know the Lord. I want you to know God. They won't say that. For they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. What's he saying here? Everybody who's in the new covenant is already saved, already knows the Lord. One new covenant member does not need to evangelize another new covenant member and say, oh, know the Lord. No, they all know the Lord. Doesn't matter how little, how least, how big, how great. They shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Now, this is unlike the old covenant. In the Old Covenant, what did you have? You had a mixed bag. You had saved people and unsaved people. You had regenerate people and unregenerate people. And and the saved, regenerate people needed to say, did say to the unsaved and unregenerate people, come on, brother, know the Lord. Turn to God that he may be God to you. Believe on him. And we need to say that, do we evangelize? Oh, I pray we evangelize. I pray you're evangelizing. You have friends, family, co-workers, and whoever. And we need to say to them, know the Lord in these days of the new covenant, because they're not in it. They don't know the Lord. But inside the new covenant, unlike the old covenant, inside the new covenant, everybody's saved. Everybody knows the Lord. We don't have to evangelize, evangelize, I can say that word, each other been with Pastor Stan we've been pastors together since 1995 brother that's a while you've never once said to me and I've never once said to you Stan know the Lord no why I don't have to evangelize you you're in the new covenant you're getting it everybody who's in this new covenant is saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ washed through his shed blood and we don't have to evangelize them this has implications for us and our children do you evangelize your children Well, I sincerely hope so, until they come to the point where they said, I believe. And even then, you might just keep encouraging them, we'll keep on believing, because we all need to persevere to the end, right? Do you evangelize your children? Well, assuming they have not yet called upon the name of the Lord, yes, you evangelize your children. So they're not yet in the new covenant, because you're evangelizing them. Well, if they're not yet in the new covenant, this is some of why we haven't baptized them yet. This is why we're Baptists and not Presbyterians. Any Presbyterians in the building, we love y'all. My oldest son and his wife and kids, they go to a Presbyterian church in North Hartford County. They're the ones using the building today to baptize. (laughs) I I should just tell you, because it just flitted into my brain. Their pastor wrote me and said, I've never baptized anybody by immersion. What do I need to know? Like He asked me... Am I going to be getting really wet? Do I need to bring a change of clothes? Yes, brother, you're going to get very wet. (laughs) And stuff like that. So, we had a little interview like, on how do you do this? It was really fun. But they're using our building today. But why don't we do what they do with most of their people? Why don't we sprinkle? That's another issue. Why don't we baptize infants? Well, here's one reason because they're not yet in the covenant. So, they don't get the baptism that goes with the covenant until we can stop saying to them, Know the Lord. Oh, come to Christ. When we can stop that, then we can baptize them, and we don't need to evangelize them anymore. So a third characteristic of the new covenant, the third way it differs from the old, a third thing that's true of everybody who's in the new covenant, no members of the new covenant need to be evangelized because they all already know the Lord. Here's a fourth characteristic. This is good. Fourth characteristic, everybody in the new covenant is forgiven. Every one of them. Their sins are remembered by God no more. Their trespasses are covered by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. God has taken their trespasses and their sins and buried them in the depths of the sea, never to be seen again. Where do we get that? Jeremiah 31 34b. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Now, that's very different from the Old Covenant. Under the Old Covenant, a whole lot of people, often most of the people, only a remnant were saved, most of them weren't, their sins were not forgiven. You could be in the Old Covenant and not have your sins forgiven, and many of them were there and did not have sins. But if you're in the New Covenant, you've called upon the name of the Lord, you've been washed, you've been saved, you've been regenerated, and your sins are forgiven. Hallelujah. Let's have a corporate hallelujah. One, two, three. Hallelujah. Yeah, your sins are forgiven. We like that part, don't we? And everybody in the new covenant is forgiven. If you are in the new covenant, your sins are forgiven by a holy and just God. Again, this has implications for baptism. Why aren't we baptizing infants? We don't believe their sins are forgiven yet. We don't believe their sins are forgiven until they've come to personal, conscious, saving faith in Jesus Christ. And then they get baptized as a sign, an external sign of an inward reality, as Pastor Jason explained it earlier. And so, what I want to know, I want to ask you is, are you in the new covenant, are your sins forgiven? Are your sins, though they are many, covered by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Have you been washed? Have you been regenerated? Have you been renewed by the Holy Spirit? Are your sins forgiven? Call upon the name of the Lord and receive the forgiveness of sins. So those four ways are all the characteristics in the the, uh, Jeremiah 31 passage, all the ways that we see uh, what things are true of everybody in the New Covenant. Now we're going to jump over to the text we opened with today, the sister text, the parallel passage, the other great Old Testament text about the New Covenant. It's Ezekiel chapter 36. And here we'll jump in with a fifth characteristic. Here it is. God grants every member of the New Covenant. Now I'm going to define these things for you. Hang in there with me. Don't check out both he grants every member of the new covenant, both definitive sanctification and progressive sanctification. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's read the verse, then I'll explain it. Here's the verse, Ezekiel 36, 25. This is true of everyone in the new covenant. It was not true of everyone in the old covenant, only some, only the remnant, only the believers, but it's true of everyone in the new covenant. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses hallelujah bless the lord and from all your idols the actual idols from idolatry from having that in your heart from worshiping the wrong things from all your idols i will cleanse you so he's going to sprinkle clean water on you. You'll be clean from all your uncleanness. That's definitive sanctification. And from all your idols, he's going to cleanse you. That's progressive sanctification. Now, what do I mean by those terms? Sanctification is there's, there's a definitive sense in which it exists, and there's a progressive sense. Definitively, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, God declares you Holy. That's definitive sanctification. It's not, well, you're sort of holy or you're getting holy. No, it's it's definitive. It's done. It's there. It's accomplished for you. When you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, God says, I love these words from Colossians chapter 1, he sees you in Christ, holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Hallelujah. Because of the shed blood of Christ, God looks at you and says, holy. Isn't that one of the most amazing things on the planet? How wonderful is that? I so often just give thanks for that. Thank you, Lord, for the blood of Christ. I can't believe it. It's amazing, but it's true. You see me as holy. That's definitive sanctification. But once you're seen by God as holy because of the shed blood of Christ covering your sins, then you also have a life to live. And that's where you have to become progressively and actually holy. That's progressive sanctification. And that's the Christian life. And again, both of those are here. Where's the progressive part? And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. So your idols are sin. That's sin in your heart. That's unholiness in your life. You're worshiping the wrong things, things that should not have that place in your soul are trying to get that place. And God says, but in the new covenant, I will actually go to work in you and I will cleanse you from all your idols, from all your idols, the actual idols. You don't just get forgiveness for the idols, you get cleansing from the idols themselves. You'll stop bowing down and loving and worshiping idols. I mentioned a little list earlier, it had cars and trucks on it. You won't worship cars and trucks, you won't worship your sewing machine, you won't worship knitting. You won't worship money. You won't worship your career and your job. You won't worship your house. You'll hold all those things with a loose hand. The Lord gives. The Lord gives away, takes away. The Blessed be the name of the Lord. You don't really care, but you do care about this. God is my God. See, he's cleansed you from your idols. He's actually cleansing you from all your idols. And I mentioned Thessalonians a moment ago, but I'm going to actually read it for you now. This is true of you if you're in the New Covenant, 1 Thessalonians 1, 9b-10. He says to those people, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's describing what the Old Covenant said would happen, or the Old Testament said would happen. They have been sprinkled with clean water and, they, and cleaned from all their uncleanness, and from their idols, God cleansed them. It's progressive. It's progressive and it's definitive sanctification. Do you have definitive sanctification? Just big words to mean, are you saved? Are your sins forgiven? Does God declare you holy because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ? covering you that's definitive sanctification and then are you becoming holy if we if if you claim to have definitive sanctification but we don't see your life changing we don't see you mortifying your members that are on the earth we don't see you fighting temptations and sin you just give in and never fight and don't seem to care at all then we have reason to question well wait a minute is this really a regenerate person is this person really born again do they really have definitive sanctification because i don't see progressive sanctification going on in their life are you following me do you get it? All right, thank you. One guy, follow me. I'll take that. All right, that's good. Paul kind of picks up on this very thing and drives it home some more in the New Testament. We're going to Romans chapter 8, 13, and 14, and here's what Paul says. If by the Spirit, not just by the law, but by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live for all who are led by the Spirit of God. Led in what? Putting to death the deeds of the body. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So somebody says, I'm a son of God. What's one thing we can look for? Are they really a son of God? Well, do they seem to be led by the Spirit of God in putting away their idols? Do they seem to be led by the Spirit of God in mortifying the sins that are in their lives? Do they they seem to be fighting against it because they want to glorify Christ? So that's the fifth characteristic of being in the New Covenant. God grants every member of the New Covenant both definitive sanctification and progressive sanctification. Oh, may you have them both. Now we're going on to a sixth characteristic. Here we go, sixth characteristic. And God regenerates every member of the New Covenant. Look at how he said this back in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, 26. And there's more, see? And I will give you... A new heart so if you believe on the lord jesus christ and you are saved you are now in the new covenant with god and here's what god does in you he doesn't just do something for you i'll forgive your sins he also does something in you what's he do in you i will give you a new heart i've said this a thousand times in the past year probably you're sick of hearing it what do new hearts do they love new things right New hearts love new things. God's going to change your loves. That is probably the most central, the most important change that occurs in you when you leave darkness and turn to light, when you leave death and turn to life. What happens is your loves change. Do we see you loving God, loving the things of God, the kingdom of God, the people of God, the word of God, the ministry of the things of God? God says, I'll give you a new heart. It'll love new things. And a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone. That's what he takes out of you, that stony heart. God's word does not go in. It bounces off. i remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What's that? That's a soft heart. So the stony heart goes away if you're in Christ, and the heart of flesh comes in if you're in Christ, and you get, God gives every member of the new covenant a soft heart. This was not true of most members of the old covenant. This is how there's radical discontinuity. This is not like. It's not going to be like that covenant. What's it going to be like, Lord? Here's what it's going to be like. Everybody who's in the new covenant, I'm giving them a new heart and a new spirit, and I'm taking out the stony, and I'm giving them the soft. Every member of the new covenant. Are you in the new covenant? Do you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Has God given you a soft heart? Has God given you a new heart? Has he put a new spirit within you? This, by the way, is exactly the passage that Jesus expected Nicodemus in John chapter 3 to know about. Remember Nicodemus? Jesus meets with Nicodemus. And uh, let's read it. I want to read it for you. We're actually going to put it up. John chapter 3. Let's go over to John chapter 3. I want you to see how this Uh, this passage comes right out in what Jesus says to Nicodemus. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. I love the response. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's like Nicodemus is going, blah, 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 and so on and so forth. And Jesus said, Let's cut to the chase here, Nicodemus. Let me just tell you what you really need to hear. (laughs) Unless you're born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. No, Nicodemus, this throws him off. He says, Nicodemus said to him, verse 4, How? What are you talking about? How can a man be born when he is old? He had no clue. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? What are you talking about? I didn't have any idea. Verse 5, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, that's the water in Ezekiel 36, and the spirit, that's the spirit in Ezekiel 36, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is just flesh, natural man. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit, spiritual man. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. It's an invisible thing. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. You can't see it. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. You can't see it, but you can see its fruits. Nicodemus is still perplexed. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And I love this response. Verse 10, Jesus answered him, are you the teacher? And the definite article was there. Are you the teacher in Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Well, how was Nicodemus to have understood these things as the greatest teacher in Israel? And here's how. He should have known Ezekiel 36, where God talks about the water and the blood and putting a new spirit within you. it's It's from Jeremiah 31 and from Ezekiel 36 that Nicodemus should have known about the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit of God, how to become a new creature in Christ Jesus. When you truly believe on the Lord Jesus, he does something for you, he forgives you your sins, and he does something in you, he gives you a new heart, a soft heart. And he puts his Holy Spirit inside of you, and you will be changed. Well, I have a couple more characteristics, but I don't have a lot of time left, and I can't go. Uh, I have to, wherever I stop in this service, I have to stop in the next service, or I'm in trouble next week trying to make the two of them match. So I'm going to draw it to a close right there, even though I have a seventh characteristic and an eighth, we'll make those a, a part of the sermon next week. But let me close in this. What have we seen today? We've seen that the new covenant is not like the old. And we've seen that if you are in the new covenant, these things can be said of you, these things will be true of you, because these are things that God always does in every member of the new covenant. And I wanna ask you now all again, I wanna ask you, are, are you in the new covenant? Are you a, a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you called upon him in saving faith and he is now your God and your savior? Are your sins forgiven? Is your soul washed clean by Jesus' shed blood? This is what you're here on the planet for. This is what life is all about. This is all for real. There's God in heaven. He made it all. This is what, what's really going on. You need to know the Lord Jesus. You need to be in the new covenant with God. You say, well, I do know the Lord Jesus. Well, do you have the heart? The text says that you'll have. Is God your God? Like the text says you'll have. Do you have a a soft heart like the text says you have? Do you have the things that are in the text? And then, to all of us who are believers and and are in the new covenant, and we can see evidences you really are born again, you really are saved. There's fruit flowing from the presence of the Spirit of God in you. Well, what can we say? Just hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your saving grace. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for his shed blood. Thank you for Calvary's cross. Thank you for redemption and pardon by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. What a wonderful thing for most of us here, Gentiles, to be grafted in with believing Hebrews, with believing Jewish friends. And we're all in this new covenant together. Bless the Lord. Bow with me and let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time in your holy word. We pray now that as we come to the table of communion and then worship you some more in song, we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. May we have joy in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.